Hello. Thank you. I like people to talk back to me. Um, except students, because, no. Um, uh, yeah. Um, what time is it? Okay, great. I have 25 minutes exactly. So, yeah. So when that thing is pointing that thing, that means I should get off the stage. Um, hi. I was in, um, I was in Oklahoma till Tuesday morning. Um, so I'm, I'm still severely jet lagged. <laughs> My buddy has no idea where it is right now. Um, who's ever been to Oklahoma before? Okay, oh, one person. What took you there? The university, oh, it's a beautiful university, and it's gorgeous. Um, I went there to help the, the theater raise, fund, fundraise, because they need money. And for those who don't know, Oklahoma is described as a flyover state because people literally fly over it to get to other places. Um, but I went there, unbeknownst to me, the university was studying one of my plays. So I was speaking to the students about it. It was just the, the warmest thing, because the play is about the Nigerian Civil War, and they were asking all of these questions about it, which just made it feel close to home, even though it was really far from home. Anyway, um, hi. Um, I'm going to read you some poems for the next 25, 20, 22 minutes. And I don't decide what poems to read. I have this search function built into my iPad, which contains all the poems I've ever read, the good ones and the not so good ones. And what is what we're going to do is this. You guys are going to throw words at me when I search for poems that contain your words. I'm going to do that for the next 22 minutes. Um, so if, if this goes well, it's because of your gorgeous word selections. Um, if it's terrible, it is your fault. So just <laughs> accept the responsibility. Um, OK, let's begin. A word. Hope. OK, OK, you're starting positive. Well, maybe it's needed, given everything this country has been through in the last two weeks. Um, <laughs> yes. Hope. OK. Um, yeah, okay. I'll read the very first poem that has the word hope in it. It's, but it's about escapism. It's about <laughs> running away from England. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it's called The Runaway. Um, I, yeah, this is, this is about, I'm, I'm nomadic. Um, the people I descend from in northern Nigeria, the Hausa people, uh, the nomads, they just kind of travel across North Africa. Um, they're related to the Tuaregs, those beautiful men in the navy blue turbans. So the, the wanderlust is in my blood. It's been there since I was a kid. So this is also about trying to run away. If you have ever risen in the labyrinth of a city to push the bare essentials down the gullet of a backpack and let the safe deposit box of your flat to catch an underground train and only stretched when it surfaced and there pressed against the airport's window pane marveling at how much planes lift. If you imagined its row of windows as marked feathers and you as one wisp of wings and your heart fluttered as the engine bunched like muscles before the planes leap and watch the world morph farmland to ocean, snow caps to field, grand canyons of clouds, such ships of shifting water that you thanked the surety of tarmac when the plane taxied down a runway and fell like an answered prayer into the arms of a waiting bed, only to wake and find the prayer unanswered, the yearning in you taller than trees. Then you may know what it is to flag down a taxi 
asked the baffled driver to go wherever is welcoming and pause carefully when the driver says, my home. So you suggest a game, a scatter flip coin of random right turns, left up the highway, right at the monastery, left past museums, factory, baker, and on instincts, bade the driver stop. You will ask yourself if it is the breeze or the guitar riff it carries. The way Ivy climbs the gate is like a rising hope. The sunset yellow paint, the mariachi's call, the painter's skulls, or if flags across the pavement really wave like carefree palms. But when you reach the crossroads where the hotel is back one way and cartel country down the other, behind you the market and before a falling building, the roof vanished, the hallways open, sunlight streaming into its webbed world, corners bright now, shadows gone. You'll know whatever stirred your blood, what's rising shaped the question, what's boiled the night within you, is satisfied, is still, there's you, there's breath, and you're going to be all right. Thank you. Cool. Hope. Um, um, I should have said the poem is set in Guadalajara, Mexico, and I traveled there for work. So I pointed to cartel country because really, literally, there was a cartel country behind me. Um, okay, hope. Another word. Rain. Okay. You guys are going for four-letter words. <laughs> I have lots of four-letter words in some of my poems. <laughs> Um, okay, rain. Um, yeah, no, you don't want that one. <laughs> Trust me. Um, okay. So I was commissioned by St. Paul's Cathedral to write um, a poem about the men who defended the cathedral in the Second World War when the Germans were over dropping bombs. And, um, and I had to I look through some of the historical documents they had. And, um, and this is called First to Last Watch um, about, about those men. And also, the, the research was so fascinating. Like, um, they traced their journey. Some of them lived in Peckham, in Nunhead, around that time. So they'd be getting the trains as the bombs were falling over London, little carts exploding around them. And they said the St. Paul's Cathedral one day, it was there was so much fire, it had turned the sky to daytime. Like, that's how blazing it was. And these men had, like, really, really rudimentary things they'd use to try and defend it. They would, they'd tie to each other, pouring buckets over the flames. And um, anyway, this is, this is called First to Last Watch. And you wonder if the rumor of God came first, if some force hummed within the dean, or if purely logical or practical need drove his St. Paul's watch call out. You wonder whose eyes the call crossed first, A.G. Butler, R.P. Jones, B.M. Sullivan, or E.S. Firth, which, if any, dismissed its premise as token, a pastime for unfit soldiers, and who read Reread, read again first, and found the cathedral's bowel of a crypt whose thirst for battle did the meeting swell, and for whom the thirst utterly quenched. You wonder who dropped a pencil first, when its soft scribble on notebooks stopped, when the schoolboys playing war mood turned to poison gas lectures and respiration drills. And who of them marveled at a bomb 
first, whose standing viewed an impact fuse, the jet-propelled glider or parachute bomb as baffling, as beautiful, as divine birth. You wonder of them who almost died first, who, excavating an incendiary, hypnotized by its hidden spark, slipped a foot and falling, called out for Christ. And the night thirty fell, who arrived first? Did any liken bombs to hailstone rain, even as the sky over the city was brighter than day, lit with flames? You wonder who felt forsaken first? Who, gaping at the dome's hole, the high altar shattered to splinters, fragments believed the kingdom had finally come? And when the war was done, who heard first? Who ran, returning uniforms? Who hummed what hymn? Who rejoiced? Who scented an emptiness, cursed? You wonder who sipped the last toast first? Who attending that final dinner when a thin wrist unkempt trembling for those they had lost and for what had survived? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, another word. Thank you for rain. Thank you. Pardon? Theater. Oh. So I'm a playwright, and I've written lots of poems in plays, but I don't think I've written a poem about theater itself. Um, um, nope, that's an essay. Um, cutting through. Nope, that's another essay. I write a lot of essays as well. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is not a poem, but this is a short article I wrote about plot and style. You got you want to hear that? Yeah. Plot and style. It's called an atheist goes for a walk in the woods. A story is the telling of a series of connected happenings, and the main events in a story gathered together is what we know as plot. The plot typically includes the exposition, the rising action, climax, falling, and resolution, the bare bones of a story. And every story has a plot. There's a story I like to perform, a narrative joke. This is this plot. An atheist goes for a walk in the woods. The atheist is attacked by a hungry bear. The atheist calls to God for mercy. God answers the atheist's prayer to make the bear a Christian. The bear thanks God for his meal and eats the atheist. <laughs> That's it. The bear, we're not going finish it. No, hold on. That's it. The bear bones. The plot. In a good story, all events in the plot have strong dramatic, thematic, and emotional significance for its characters. Sometimes the plot unfolds chronologically. Other times, rearranging its events increases their dramatic, thematic, and emotional significance. Other times, the style in which the story is told is all that is needed to lift a mundane plot. I come from an ancient West African oral storytelling tradition where nomadic storytellers, griots, would teach the plot of stories to their apprentices but encourage them to find their own style. I'm primarily a poet, so I'm interested in precision, detail, beauty, and economic uses of language. As a theater maker, <laughs> I'm invested in how physically how physicality contributes to communication, what a body, posture, face can do. As an artist, I'm interested in creating work that is as current and specific as possible. 
yet speaks to the broadest audiences. All this creates a style and aesthetic that lifts the mundane atheist in the woods story. Before I begin performing the story, I try to suss out the audience's demographics, class, faith, and broad cultural tastes. This has implications in how I voice God, the atheist, and how intensely I use imagery and what pop culture references I use. This means I never tell the story the same way twice. Last time I performed it, this is roughly what I said. So, once upon a time, a gorgeous summer's day, beneath a cloudless sky, an atheist goes for a walk in the woods. He's like, I'm a pretty atheist, do my thing, skipping through the trees like a badass. Look how I left my iPhone at home. I've got my ceramic high-performance extreme camping mug. <laughs> it's just him, the mug, the woods, checking out hummingbirds, supping sweet nectar, rare butterflies fluttering by, hovering over flowers. The dude is chill. Suddenly, he hears a twig crack, turns around, and there's a big, bad grizzly saliva dripping from its jaws. Grrr! The bear starts bounding towards him. The atheist drops his high-performance mug, starts dashing through the woods, screaming. Branches of trees are crashing into his face, dragging at his lips. Claws of saliva whipping past, flapping into leaves, and the bear is right behind him, claws out, swiping through his backpack, jacket, t-shirt, skin. Bits of blood and bones are flying everywhere, and the atheist is screaming, help me, help me, help me, Stop Somebody, please. They get to clearing in the woods. The bear trips over the atheist. He falls on his back. The bear is right on top of him, slashing through his legs. Somebody help me, please. God help me. God help me. The bear rises to his hind legs, about to chomp on this chomp when everything stops. The hummingbird is frozen mid-stop. The butterflies are still as if sellotaped to the air. Darkness swamps over the sky, save a pinprick of light that beams down and encircles the atheist and his god. And God says, what the fuck do you want? <laughs> the atheist is like, whoa, you swear? God is like, ain't got time for this. I'm watching The Sopranos. Peace. And the, <laughs> and the atheist screams, no, no, no. This bear is about to eat me. Help. God says, you've spent your whole life denying my existence. Why should I help you? The atheist is like, because cause, uh, you're a merciful God. God says, ha, have you read the Old Testament? Idiot, leave me alone. <laughs> and the atheist, please, no, no, no. If you won't be merciful, then, then make the bear a Christian. God's like, fuck. Fine, whatever. See you on Judgment Day. God vanishes. The beam of light is sucked back into the sky. Darkness clears. Motion returns to the world. The hummingbird sups again. The butterflies flutter by. And the bear grows. Bear looks at his paws. Bear looks at the atheist. Ground, paws, atheist, bear. The atheist looks at the sky, shakes his head, brings his paws together and says, Dear God, thank you for this meal you have just provided for me. <laughs> now, when I'm really telling this story, to a really involved audience. The conversation gets longer, I go off on tangents, and it's easy to get lost in the telling. But because of the plots, because of the bones I know, which I know very well, I always find myself again. Knowing them allows me for room to roam, for the writer to go wild with style, and for the performer to mine the story for nuance, suspense, warm humor, and emotional wealth. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Okay, so uh, I have like nine more minutes. Um, so another word, ecstasy. ecstasy. I haven't tried that one. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> ecstasy. Um, um, no, I have, 
No, I've never written a poem with that word. But let's look for an adequate synonym for ecstasy. Well, yeah, let's help her out. What's your name? What's your name? Carol. Okay, so another word for ecstasy, but not ecstasy. Bliss. Okay, B-L-I-S-S. Okay. Oh, wow. I've never written a poem. <laughs> this just tells you about my life. Hold on. Um, wait, let me see. Okay, no, no, I have. There's something with bliss in it. Um, um, do I want to read this? Okay, this is an old poem. I'm not proud of this. I apologize. Um, simply because I think I'd write it differently if I was to write this again. Um, yeah, but this is it. It's called Never Self. The universe constantly conspires to create things greater than the sum of themselves. We are all walking embodiments of two plus two equating five. The one extra is a factor derived from something that isn't here, that is always here, an all-embracing else, an unmasked maximum, an unwritten spell, a great and fogless fog with unfathomably friendly edges found, for instance, in the lone moments when still and silent, a city street nudges the never self of a smiling man. I was that man smiling, that lone middle momenter, time whiling to traffic cones and phone boxes, unwinding to a wearless, wendless window world. It happened on a night dayed like this, one unscathed by any hard happenings. I'd made the mistake of going shopping, rocking just a t-shirt and a black scarf, at an intersection, a swift wind grabbed the cotton around my neck and trilled off. The loose strands of wool pranced like hair tendrils unschooled, till a suddenly a white van turned the corner, wheels screaming, and something of the angle caused the front tire's rims gleaming, glancing to find the light source. I found myself in a moment when nothing happened. Still the water busily drizzled. Still the wind thick and urban blew the building brick. Still the cars quiet, framed by the under-bumper shade. Still the light filtered through swaying leaves, made a checkered flag on concrete waving as if daring the cars to race. Watching the metal drains gag, watching the grace and grandeur of a waterlogged hedge sag, watching the shadows play like children of the night, the street lamp bathing the scene in one shade of yellow, the road truly paved with gold, it struck me how we don't need to be here. The shadows play without us. We just breathe here and basking under the golden bowl. The equation conspired to grow greater. Where one equaled water, one equaled wind, one for the street, then rainfall brimmed, the fourth for myself, a smiling spectator in the factor, the fifth for that all embracing else. That in these middle times of warmth and wind, when the senses are tuned to enhancing a moment's bliss, this where the pause and perfection meet. This is where the pain and the poetry is. Thank you. Okay. So um, five minutes left. Um, so I don't know how many poems you can shove into that. But yes, shadow. Okay. Um, let's see if I have another poem with the word shadow in it. Um, yes, I write a lot about shadows. Look at that. Um, 
Okay, I'm going to try and choose one. Um, um, no, that's way too long. Um, okay, mayb maybe I'll read a short one. This <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, this is a stupid question. No, I'm not going to. No, no. Okay, no. Don't edit yourself anymore. So, okay. So, this poem is about sex and death. So, I was going to ask who's ever had sex here. But that just seems stupid. <laughs> that just seems stupid because I hope you all have. Um, this, is about, this, is, <laughs> this is about sex and death. It's about... Um, so, now and then, um, Vanessa, you can speak to this. Have you ever dated someone who's asked you to write a poem about them? That's corny. Exactly. That's what I always say. I tell them two things. One, that's corny. Two, that in order to write something, I need distance from the thing. So if you want me to, hey, to break up with me, yeah. So the last person who did, that's exactly what I told them. She thought I was joking <laughs> until we broke up and I wrote this point. <laughs> um, it's called Lily and the Ladybird, and it's about um, one of the first times when we went out dancing and I came back home and just realize the fragility of all of this. And um, yeah, thank you for listening. You've been a really great audience. Um, this is called Lily and the Ladybird about sex and death. Let's say we both paid a fiver at the door, both despised the cloakroom's overpriced till you shoulders crisp as new snow peaks shivered with the DJ's beats, snaked down downstairs onto the dance floor and owned it. Let's say we answered the bar's call when his gin tingle touch stretched out to us and we clutched the liquid fire down throats, loosening limbs till inhibitions gave in. I agree. After the tide of bass lines, we clung to each other, knuckles white as cliffs. But the whole record skip, dead silence, your voice carried over the sudden sonic void to land pitch perfect with the song. That was authored by a thing like fate. Who knew I would fall with you to the last note? I'd grasp close even after their echo gave up and out to the taxi's backseat. And how the sky, like an eye pupiled by the moon, watched intensely. Its beams flash lit the streets between buildings. We slipped through shadow, then light, then shadow quick, cloaking the taxi as if the sky blinked. It knew the night would gyrate past subtle hand clasps to your place. Lights out, tipsy, but able to learn to cradle the arc of your back. The dark breath by hot neck. The shudder halts and heart sweat. The formless flounder of tired sleep. To this dawn, lifting the sun, nuzzling us. I wake first, started by a crash. Find Lily, your black cat, arched over to land on the windowsill. Her paws, a soft blur of furred lightning, streaked between two ladybirds on a glass pane. She takes one in her mouth, drops to the white sheet, bites into its shell, promptly spits out the tiny carcass and sprints, leaving this little death a dot of darkness that blackens the air. I turn to you, tuck a curl of your hair, a slip of darkness out of sight behind your ear and watch in the same silence where an owl prays for prey or one where a puma haunts. I watch over you, frozen, frightened in the stillness, Knowing now how records will always skip. Knowing fate always flows beneath. And such is darkness to bring forth beasts. I lie there, defiance, daring them all to mix. For beasts in a baseline to lunge. Fate spun. Though it isn't ours to know what comes. 
I'll watch as far as the end of this morning. I will stay by your naked shoulders with my guard on. Thank you.